This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is the best show on America's Web Radio called The Immigration Hour. David cannot agree with me on that because David's got a lot of good hosts that he likes to say are the best uh, best hosts on their, on their program. But David, it's great to be back. On America's Web Radio, we have uh, a picture up on Facebook with the American flag in the back because, after all, this is America's Web Radio, right? That's right. And you actually have a live uh, podcast. Don't we have a video podcast that goes up as well? Is it up yeah. today or not? It's there. It's streaming it's Streaming on, live uh, video of, of David and I. But, but it's me talking. You don't get to see David talking because he's kind of a behind-the-scenes guy. Uh, but uh, certainly, if he was the guy featured on this video, you wouldn't watch anybody else because he is a handsome devil. <laughs> Uh, David I'll and I were having uh, David and I were having our own individual lamentations uh, about uh, about our gardens here in Georgia. Unfortunately, our gardens in Georgia, David, are not going to be spring gardens, are they? It doesn't look like it. No, I think uh, I think they'll be summer gardens. So tomatoes and peppers should still be fine, uh, but uh, all the fun stuff you plant in the spring, like lettuce and radishes and, and sweet peas and and sugar snap peas. I think we got a long way to go before we're going to see those, and that might be maybe that's a fall planting, David. Maybe I've never done a fall garden. Maybe my fall garden will have to be my spring garden this year. You know, I, I would love to do it, and it just seems like I, I never get into the fall at the right time, or get you know I'm still getting stuff out of the garden when you should be planting the fall garden yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Uh, I really haven't ever done one, but um, you know, who knows? It may I, might, be, it may I did, be I did buy some plant. fall stuff this year in my seed catalog. I bought some uh, fall gourds. Mm. Uh, gourds are always a good thing to grow in the fall. And uh, when, when, when I went to rototill my garden this year, David, I found that I apparently missed a couple of onions that I picked in the summer. Oh yeah, some green onions. I, I missed them. They were big. Oh I mean, yeah, they were big. They yeah. Maybe maybe I'll do some winter onions this next year and not worry about that. Did. Um, uh, do you plant? Uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought. I was gonna, never mind. I forgot. I do plant all kinds of onions, uh, uh, usually from seed to see how they go. Yeah. But I did buy the, the sets from Home Depot this last year, which worked out just fine. My potatoes. We're still eating some of the potatoes that we planted last year. We got a good potato harvest last year. Ah. It was a good potato year, mostly because I found a spot in my garden that's nice, nice soil for tomatoes, mm. for potatoes. So good stuff. Uh, but I'm not going to get in there anytime soon. And this week is all we all here in Georgia. Train every day, train every day. So looks to me like it's going to be a May planting because next week I'll be gone next weekend. So this weekend is my only weekend to plant in April, and doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere. Bummer, dude. It's a bummer. It's a bummer, dude. But David, this is an immigration hour, not the gardening hour. Uh, they do have a show on the garden, right? You have a garden show on, on America's Web. We do. We do. In fact, we have uh, vegetable gardening as well as uh, just uh, just garden, right, garden like uh, making yeah. your making your yard look pretty. When is the vegetable gardening show? Perhaps I should download that on iTunes. Uh, it's it's a great show. Daryl Pullis uh, does the show. She's been in uh, uh, gardening for years. She's a master master gardener, gardener right? She's, yeah. She's been on a number of radio shows. Had her own radio show on other stations in the past, and uh, she knows her stuff. And uh, it's every. Uh, Saturday morning at 10 a.m., followed by the Master Gardener Hour at 11. Awesome. So well, that's certainly, certainly something to, to tune in for. And you can download either of those on iTunes as well. Absolutely. Well, welcome to the Immigration Hour. But, David, it's been an immigration week. <laughs> it's been an immigration week. We had our show last uh, Tuesday. And then last Wednesday, two very important things happened. Uh, and they happened on the same day within, within an hour or so of each other. Remember we talked last week about uh, Judge Hannon in Texas 
that the federal government had made a motion to have him reconsider his stay of the DAPA program and the expanded DACA program. Now, nobody on God's green earth thought he would actually overturn his own stay. Uh, This was really done, I think, really out of formality. If I was the lawyers in the case, I would not have filed such such a motion. But the Department of Justice, being as it may, they decided to file the motion. And uh, they gave them an opportunity, I think, to present, put some more evidence in front of the judge. But remember, he was also asking them to justify why uh, they had continued to issue 100,000 work cards under the policy memo uh, or hadn't been clear with him about the policy memo and getting 100,000 work cards. Now, Judge Hannah is just legally incorrect about this and factually incorrect. The 100,000 work cards were for DACA Normal DACA, regular DACA folks. The memo itself plainly reads that they would issue the three-year work permits to them. They began issuing them on November 27th, just as they said they did. And they issued 100,000 of them until um, until uh, Hannon issued his order on February uh, 17th. But, Dave, what's the problem is Judge Hannon's order is remarkably vague, mostly because I'm not sure he actually read the entire memo. I think he read the briefs, but I don't think he read the memo. And I don't think he realized that the – and again, I blame part of the Obama administration lawyers as well. They weren't completely clear about – and maybe they didn't even know about the 100,000. They were so focused on DAPA and DACA that they forgot about the three-year work permits they were already issuing for DACA kids. And um, when I think Hannon asked, is any part of this memo in place, they said no – because I think they thought he was referring to DACA and extended DAPA, DAPA and extended DACA, not to the three-year work permits, which were clearly within the president's authority to do, and he has no authority to stop that. But they did stop issuing the three-year work permits. But as a result of the judge's order last Wednesday, when he simply reaffirmed uh, the fact that Texas is going to be damaged because of the driver's license and Obama didn't follow the rules, he felt he was deceived by the government lawyers, although he gave no sanctions in place, uh, without arguing why he hasn't been deceived by the state of Texas and their stupid argument about driver's licenses. Um, but a couple of uh, national uh, press folks, including a Telemundo nationally, put around an article in a local newspaper did the same thing and said, hey, these 100,000 workprints are no good anymore. And it never said a word about that. It was just made something, just literally an error by the press that gets then turned into a, a rumor in the community. And we started receiving uh, emails and calls. Hey, why is my workbook going to be good? What do I do now? My workbook's not. I, said, I couldn't understand what they were talking about. What are you talking about? Well, the judge just ruled them invalid. No, he didn't. No, he, I mean, God, take a breath, people. I mean, maybe we should talk to the lawyer of getting legal advice instead of getting it from Telemundo. But, David, the bigger news came out of the Fifth Circuit. Uh, on Wednesday, within an hour of Judge Hannon's ruling. And this was a decision that came out of the uh, not-so-great state of Mississippi. Now, Fifth Circuit is is the court that's going to be hearing the appeal from Judge Hannon from Texas' decision. Well, two years ago, and it wasn't on very few people's radar, uh, the state of Mississippi sued the Obama administration trying to stop DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And you never guess what their basis for standing was, David. Any any idea? They were going to have to issue driver's licenses, <laughs> these people. And they were going to incur costs. Now, the state of Texas did a terrible, state of Mississippi did a terrible job in their lawsuit and just made lots of allegations about loss, but didn't really put any numbers to paper. But basically said, 
yeah, we're going to lose money because these people are going to have to get driver's license and get public benefits when, in fact, they get no public benefits and driver's licensing is all made up. And the Court of Appeals, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals said, first, Mississippi doesn't have any standing because they've alleged no actual injury. They haven't been damaged anyway, and their injuries on the driver's license are at best speculative, uh, and it were simply not true because they don't take into account the increased tax revenue that will come in from people who are now working legally in the United States. So that why that's important is it bodes very well, extraordinarily well, for the lawsuit from the Hannon decision from the federal government because it's the same basic standing argument. Uh, and the standing argument and the way it comes out of the Fifth Circuit comes in a way that's very conservative. Conservative judges tend not to find jurisdiction to hear cases against the government. They tend to push cases away. If they can find a way to get rid of a case, they do. Uh, it's liberal activist judges that find ways to bring standing, that find ways to bring injury so they can then opine on the case. Those are activist judges. So really, Judge Hannon, although appointed by George W. Bush, is clearly an activist judge. Very contrary to what the Fifth Circuit just did in the Mississippi decision. Uh, so I am I'm, I'm heartened by, by that decision, and I think they will find that Texas also lacks standing, uh, particularly when they look at the, the, the underlying level. Last night, David, I did, another, I did another seminar last night in Athens, and I explained this to people, that uh, Texas was only charging $45 when it was costing them 175 And I asked everybody, how many of you would pay $175 for a driver's license? And everybody raised their hand. So this it's a made-up argument. We're going to be damaged because we, we choose not to charge the full cost of the driver's license. When we talked last week, if that was the full cost, as Americans, we should be paying it, right? It's the cost. The government shouldn't be providing free services to anybody. Um, this goes to the whole idea of limited government. So I, th- I find it fascinating that a, cons- quote, conservative judge took on liberal activist leanings in order to opine on what he thought was appropriate for the president of the United States to do. Something completely out of character of a conser- an actual conservative judge. So that was item one at the Fifth Circuit. Item two was, of course, they looked at DACA and they said, and this is probably the most important part of the decision, this is clearly within the president's enforcement priority abilities. Uh, this is clearly within his right as the president. Plus, he's already published some rules authorizing work authorization for these folks. It doesn't need to do it again. So the, the Fifth Circuit, in another conservative gesture in a, from a conservative court, said, no, this is clearly within the executive branch's authority. Remember, it's the conservatives that have really expanded the power of the executive and said, here's what the executive can do within his own authority. Case in point was the Supreme Court 9-0 in a decision saying, no, when you change policy... Uh, you don't need to publish that in the Federal Register. Again, a conservative leaning written by a conservative court. So I think the, the, these two, this ruling out of the Fifth Circuit bodes very poorly for the state of Texas and speaks to us when it says that I think we're going to be in pretty darn good shape uh, when it comes to the idea of the Fifth Circuit hearing this case. Now, David, another more news on the Fifth Circuit is we now know... We now know who the judges are going to be in the panel that are going to be hearing this case. And, 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 and so there are two Republicans 
uh, and one, well, we don't know who they are. I mean, two of them reported by Republicans, and one appointed by a Democrat. They are Judge Jerry Smith, Jerry E. Smith, appointed by Ronald Reagan. That's my friend. That's your buddy. Yeah. Sweet. Now, here's what you're going to do. Send him this podcast. He's from Houston, Texas. From Houston, Texas. So send him this podcast, okay? So Jerry Smith is your buddy. He is the senior judge hearing on this panel, so he'll be chairing the panel. Uh, He was appointed by Ronald Reagan. So that makes him not young. Is he about your age, David? Is he in his 60s? He's your age. So exactly your age. 62, 63? 68. So he could be on the Fifth Circuit for 30 more years. Um, So he'll be chairing that panel. Then you've got uh, Judge Jennifer Walker Elrod. Uh, appointed by George W. Bush, uh, and I have read some of her opinions, and they're they're conservative, but they're they're well within the realm of of, of actual reality. Uh, then there's Judge Stephen Higginson, appointed by President Obama. Higginson uh, is by no stretch of the imagination a liberal on this cuff. Um, so uh, what we look at with these folks, uh, Judge Smith has a well documented history of being very conservative on the role of the judiciary. He's a Ronald Reagan judge. That means they look for ways not to rule on cases. They look for ways, they make it hard to bring suits against the government. So that's actually a pretty darn good thing. Um, the other two judges uh, are uh, kind of a little bit more open book on this, but I think certainly, I think what we're going to see, we're going to see a unanimous opinion from the Fifth Circuit saying there's no jurisdiction for this case, and it's turning on its ear. Let's take a break now on America's Web Radio. We'll be back in just a minute. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is the Immigration Hour, possibly the most listened to immigration podcast in the known universe. David, do you have any facts on that? None at hand. None at hand. But, we, but you don't dispute that, though, right? We, we have the satellite flying around checking on it. Checking it right now. Well, going back to the Fifth Circuit, the appeals court that ruled last week uh, in the Fifth Circuit, three different judges, uh, Judge Davis, Judge King, and Judge Owen. Uh, and uh, their opinion was very telling. I, um, as they went uh, issue by issue, the case was a consolidated appeal uh, brought by the ICE union. Did you know there's a union of ICE agents? No. Not, it's because it's not really a real union. It's kind of a kind of a club. And a guy named Chris Crane is the head of that club. And they were represented by uh, uh, Chris Kobach, who is the Secretary of State of Kansas, who is the leading losing immigration lawyer in the country. Uh, he's the guy that loses more federal court lawsuits 
uh, than any other immigration lawyer in the history of mankind on immigration issues. Uh, but this uh, 12B6 motion to dismiss issue was very interesting. Uh, Mississippi asserted that the cost to the state in providing support services to DACA beneficiaries is an adequate injury to support the standing. The district court ruled that the allegation of fiscal burden was too speculative because the state only provided information from 2006, which estimated the annual cost of immigration six years before DACA was implemented. So basically they had no evidence. Texas also has no evidence other than their made-up driver's license thing. But what I really liked about the analysis of this is the way they look at Article Three standing. A plaintiff must show injury in fact, a, specific, a sufficient causal connection between the injury and the conduct, and a likelihood that the injury will be addressed by a favorable decision. And here they looked at Mississippi and they said, look, uh, you make an argument that you could be injured by this and it's going to cost the state money, but you provide no facts. Uh, and they say here, because Mississippi's claim of injury is not supported by any facts, facts, those are kind of important, David, in the law. They're kind of important. Uh, we agree with district court. The injury is merely speculative. Uh, the agents, on the other hand, here's what these agents were arguing. We're going to violate our oath of office by, by, by letting DACA happen. And here's what's important about the decision. Really, really important. Because it goes to the heart of what Hannon said. Hannon said that there was no real discretion by ICE or USA. It was an automatic grant. You, you apply, you're going to be approved. It's automatic. That's not true. And here the Fifth Circuit said specifically that, uh, that, the, um, that there would be uh, specific discretion by the fundamental flaw. The fundamental flaw in the argument is the follows. The agent's reading of the directive, that they are always required to grant deferred action and cannot detain an alien who meet the directive's criteria, is clearly erroneous. And that's being shown erroneous right now when people that are DAPA eligible are being held by ICE. The Napolitano Directive makes clear, and this is the same directive for, for, for DAPA, agents shall exercise their discretion in deciding to grant deferred action and the judgment exercised on a case-by-case basis. Uh, with respect to individuals who are encountered by ICE and meet the above criteria, ICE should immediately exercise discretion on an individual basis. Uh, what's powerful about that is it goes directly contrary to what Judge Hannon said. Uh, his findings are not just they're not based in reality. They're based in his own activist judge worldview. Uh, so this is a good sign. This is a really good sign. And uh, I think at the end of the day um, that uh, we're going to see uh, the judge, the Fifth Circuit, overturn the decision of the, of the folks at, um, uh, in, uh, in Texas. And we're going to have DACA, DAPA and expanded DACA happening here sometime in the late May early June. That's kind of my take on it, David. Uh, any questions? And if you reach out to Judge Smith and say, Jer, buddy, be the man. Be the man. Uh, it'd be kind of funny if you did that, but you'd probably get in big trouble, so you shouldn't do that. David, don't follow my advice on that. No, don't do that. Don't follow my advice on that one. Okay, uh, David, uh, as you know, early in April, April 1, April 7th was the days that we could file H-1B visas. These are the work visas, the only real essential work visas that exist in the United States for foreign nationals. And uh, there are 65,000 of these available to people with bachelor's degrees, plus another 20,000 people with a U.S. master's degree. So people that have come to the U.S., paid U.S. colleges, universities for an education, gotten a master's degree, there's 20,000 of them that can get work visas. 
Uh, so total, there's eighty five thousand. David, I don't, I don't think we did an over under. But what do you think now that we, now that I know the number? What do you think the number of applications came in? I'll give you some hints. Last year, they got one hundred sixty five thousand. Two years ago, they got one hundred fifteen thousand. So where do you think the number fell this year? Give me, give, give me a, an over under number. Under the eighty five thousand. That they got under eighty five. How many immigration got in house by by for for application? Well, if you're saying you know, how many people applied for the H one B visa is what I'm asking. Uh, less than a hundred thousand. Two hundred and thirty three thousand applications received by the immigration service. Because the economy, David, is improving. <laughs> Two hundred and thirty three thousand applications for eighty five thousand spots. That means your chance of getting picked is basically third, thirty three percent. That's stupid. What a stupid way to run it. So there are 233,000 actual job offers to in foreign national individuals for jobs that exist in the U.S. today at or above the wage that the government says is the average wage for that job in that area of employment. So these are real jobs, real job offers, real people, real people qualify for the job, and we're going to turn away 140, 150,000 of them. That's just stupid. And here's some other facts. For every H-1B work, every H-1B worker helps create four jobs for U.S. citizens. Every H-1B worker helps create four jobs for U.S. citizens. So we're really turning away about a million jobs. That's just crazy. Or half a million jobs. That's crazy. It, it, it makes no economic sense. In a free market, we do we live in a free market, David? <laughs> Hardly. No, we don't live in a this, – this joke that people think we live in a free market, that's a joke. Of course we don't live in a free market. Uh, our market is tightly controlled, and it tightly controlled as some in the Soviet era. Very tightly controlled. Because when you control people and the movement of people and, and, and work, which is what's happening here, you can't possibly have a free labor market. You just can't possibly have it. So these numbers came in, 233,000. Uh, they will have a lottery, David, for uh, the uh, H-1Bs. Uh, first, the lottery for the uh, um, the 20,000 master's degree people. Anybody in any master's degree guy not picked in that lottery then goes into the general H-1B lottery for everybody. Immigration has promised, promised that they will begin sending receipt notices out uh, next week. Probably. Probably get them. Usually, Dave, what happens is we get the rejected applications by mail before. Think about this. Somebody ran a number on this. The minimum application fee, David, is, let me get this right, $1,875. The higher application fee, if you have more than 25 employees, is $2,350. So they are returning somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter of a billion to half a billion dollars in fees. Free money, the government, employers freely paid it. A quarter of a billion to half a billion dollars just given back. For what reason? Because Congress says we don't need these H-1Bs? This really, it, it's stunningly stupid. I can't think of a better word. Maybe you think of a better word. Stunningly stupid way to run an economy, uh, to run an immigration system, to tell an employer, hey, you can only hire people in this six-day window or five-day window, or seven-day window in April. And they can't start, by the way, till October. Um, and you got somebody really great you want to have. And you, sorry, you can pick the lottery. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, wow. 
I, you ask if I could pick a better word? Yeah, can you pick a word for that? Congress. Congress, there we go. Thank you very much. Great applause to the peanut gallery. It's Congress that does it. It's not Obama. Obama can't. If Obama was a dictator, would he change this tomorrow? I would think. Yeah, of course he would. He was really a dictator. We use that term very liberally, but I don't think he's like Stalin. I'm pretty sure he's not like Stalin. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, well, David, I'm pretty sure he's not going to be president in January 2017. So I think you're going to be okay. Uh, well, we'll but here's your bad news. We'll here's your bad news. She's back. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But this number is just stunning, David. Now, I, I was in a pool, an over and under, and I picked 200,000, uh, that it would be around 200. And I, was, I, I thought that would be a lot. Uh, but I know we filed about 30% more this year than we filed last year at our firm. But 233,000, that is just crazy talk. That is just absolute crazy talk. Then you ask me, but you already had inside information. Well, no, I knew the number. I wanted to see how close you were. I wanted to see how close you were. And you, you did it. I mean, you did a good job. But this, and this, if they don't change it, how many next year? 300000 At some point, employers are going to go, what's the use? Well, I guess it uh, comes Why back spend to money you. on lawyers if I'm going to invent these filed if I'm not going to get them anyway? A 33% chance? Well, here's our big problem. We are now at record numbers of foreign students in the United States. Why? Because colleges and universities love foreign students. Why? Because they pay full band tuition. They bring in lots of money to the schools. Particularly like here in Georgia where they have falling tuition, falling numbers. So falling we can invite out-of-state students to pay in-state tuition to get them here without letting our own DACA kids get it. Uh, So you got more people every year graduating from U.S. colleges and universities and thus more applying for H-1Bs because I'll tell you, a lot of people will go home, but a lot of them won't. They want to stay here. They, they fell in love with America. Uh, lots of people fall in love. I mean, we want people to fall in love with America, right? People come here and they hate America. That's a bad sign for us. That's ISIS. It's ISIS, yeah. We don't want anybody from ISIS coming here. Uh, so these numbers were stunning yesterday um, as, as, they, as they put them out there. And I, I'm glad that immigration was able to count the numbers so quickly so that we knew them right away. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm just a, a little little perplexed uh, by the uh, uh, by the move, lack of movement in Congress on this. Now, David, I'm going to be this week in Washington D.C. Going to Congress, Mr. Cook goes to Washington. <laughs> now, of course, I've been elected to anything, so I meet with my congressman, including the eminent Tom Price. Maybe I'll ask him how had that whole cromnibus uh, worked out for him last year. How was that last year? That worked out good for you? Makes you look like an idiot. Yeah. Cronobus didn't work out so well, um, and uh, but I'll be up in D.C. meet with uh, I think we got both our senators Purdue and Isaacson. I'm going to meet with uh, nine different congressmen as well. So we got eleven people to meet with on Thursday. David, I'll bring back a re- I won't bring I'll bring back a report the next Tuesday, the last Tuesday of the month. I'll still be here. Uh, it's just the, it's that first week in May. No, last I guess is the last the last Tuesday in the month. I won't be here, but I'll be the next two Tuesdays, and I'll come back next week and tell you give you a detailed report about how my meetings went with each of our, our elected luminaries. Is there a message you would like to bring, me to bring for you to Washington, D.C.? Listen. Listen. They're not listening, are they? They don't listen to anything. Now, some people would say they don't listen from the conservative side. Others say they don't, they don't listen from the liberal side. I don't think they're listening to the middle. I think they are listening, David. I think they listen to the far right or to the far left. I think they listen to the middle. They don't listen to the average American, what they want, what they feel, what they believe. 
Well, they don't you, care. Your girlfriend's running. She's going to take care of the middle Dude, class. Dude, she, she is your candidate through and through. She, she is going to be your woman. Let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. David, there was some big news this week. Big, 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 big. Now, last week we talked about the illegitimate presidential candidate whose name is? <laughs> Obama? Oh, no, 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 no. He's oh, the president. Oh, He's the president. Oh, candidate. Mr. Cruz? Mr. Cruz. Uh, are, you, are we going to have our buddies back on? And now it's Mr. Uh, Rubio. Now, Mr. Rubio was actually born in the United States. That's true. Yes. But neither parent were... Were U.S. citizens. That's exactly US right. Uh, so you don't think he's eligible either? You know, it's just one's interpretation of the Constitution. Isn't that amazing? The con- Wait a second. The Constitution needs to be interpreted? <laughs> Why did those founders have such a complicated document, David? Well, it's very simplistic, actually. Uh, it, but you, but people over the years have read things into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is the whole the whole the fight whole, between whole the original interpret original intent as what it means today. Yeah. Is is the Constitution a living document, or is it a document meant to guide us forward? You know, I think at this point, David, we have the oldest Constitution in the world. At this point, probably. I think we do. I mean, everybody else keeps the men's changing their constitutions. Ours is the oldest in the world. I know there's a movement afoot to have a constitutional convention here in the United States. Have you, have you had any shows on that? No. But, uh, Th- that would probably be a good show to do, the, the movement on constitution. Rumor has it. Rumor has it. Um, and, uh, but let's get back to the, the issue of politics and immigration. So I, I didn't see your picture in the Hillary announcement video. I was looking for it, but I didn't see you in there. It was there. I saw everybody else in there. She, boy, she got the cross section of America as cross sectioning as you can get. Uh, she got she went down to the smallest cross section of everybody. Um, I love the fact that she went to Chipotle's and nobody recognized. That was her. hilarious. That was great. <laughs> you know, good for her. She's driving across the country in a van and pulls into Chipotle and hey, I'd like uh, the double taco wambo that you have there and. Uh, I've never been to Chipotle. I don't know what that is. I know I serve Mex. It's an old McDonald's restaurant to serve Mexican food. But um, 
So Hillary announces, David, your take right now on her chances of winning the election. Zero. You don't think she's going to win? I don't think she... I'm not sure she's going to make it to the... So you don't think she wins the primaries? Well, she'll make it to the primaries, but I'm not sure she'll win the primaries. And, And if she does... We may have some devastating uh, happenings after that. I, I don't think she'll make it to. If she made it through the primaries, I don't think she'll make it uh, to the general election. I think she will win the primaries. Uh, let's go to the Republicans now. Yesterday, Marco Rubio announces several. Did you know who Marco? What time Marco Rubio announced he was running for president yesterday? Did you know six what time? O'clock, six o'clock. No, 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 He announced at eight o'clock in the morning to Wall Street bankers. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? By the way, so did Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz's next event after Liberty University, he went to go meet with a billionaire in in, uh, Washington, in New York City to get $30 million from him for his campaign. Who did Hillary announce to first? Wall Street bankers. Wall Street bankers. No, I said bankers. Well, um, that, that was six months ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Rubio announces. I have a couple questions for you, Dave. Rubio is how old? 43. He's 43 years old. Is that too young to be president? Man, I mean, nobody's asking this question. How old was Obama when he got elected? 45, 46. 47. 47. Because he's, he's, Obama is two years older than I am. Uh, so he's 54 now. So he's 47, 48. Uh, I thought that was a little young. But 43, are you capable of leading the free world at 43 years of age. Well, he wouldn't be. He'd be 44. So. Well, okay, he'd be 45. 45. Okay, 45. he'd be 45. Are you ready to lead the free world at 45? What is his real-life experience? What has he done? What did Jack Kennedy done? Uh, he served in World War II and saved a bunch of lives and uh, served as a senator for several terms and uh, um, was trained to be president from the time he was a baby. Um. You know the answer to that. You know, I know Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. And you, Senator, are no Jack Kennedy. I'm sorry. I was channeling my inner Lloyd Benson. I couldn't help myself, David. Thank you very much. Um, One of the greatest lines ever in a political yeah. debate. You know. Isn't Cruz like Dan Quayle? Uh, no, I don't think he's like Dan Quayle. Really? Personally. Um, no, I think, she, I think Cruz is a very sharp individual, but I think he should have stood up to the plate and said, you know, uh, I think there is a question on eligibility. But Well, let's let's belief. put eligibility aside. Putting that aside. He's 43 years old. He looks like he's 27. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's What jobs has he held? What has he done? Everybody complained about Obama being a community activist. He was, what, the Speaker of the House for... Uh, what jobs has he... That wasn't a job, David. Yeah, it's a part-time job like here. What was his job? Other than being How did he make money? He was an attorney, wasn't he? he or he is? He taught political science. I don't, even, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if he's an attorney or not. I thought he was. As far as I know, he's never practiced law. Maybe, maybe not. He taught political science. Okay. That, I mean, has he ever run a business? Not that I know of. Why don't we have somebody running for president who owns a freaking business? Why don't we have somebody that's been in the military? Exactly. Where are... Well, Tammy Duckworth may run. You never know. Um... <laughs> So where are where I want somebody with real life I want somebody with real life real world experience. 
You know, I, I take that two ways. I'll, I'll give you another side of side okay. of the argument. And I don't know Rubio from from my grandmother or whatever. But, you could Google him. Um, I if a person and and this comes from true life experience, just like you said. But if a person. I don't think there's anyone capable of being president of the United States, okay. quite frankly. I think that, and, and we've seen this with Obama, and I think this is why Obama's administration has been basically a disaster, in my opinion. But the one thing that Kennedy was capable of doing, and I was certainly not a Kennedy supporter, but if, no matter who it is, it gets in, and and and... At this point, Hillary would not be the person to live up to what I'm about to say. But anyone that gets in that is capable of taking advice and being a a responsive leader is a good listener and Mm -hmm. respects the people that he or she surrounds themselves with and takes their advice and follows their advice. Obama has not followed the military's advice on anything. He thinks he knows more than they do, and he doesn't. He's never been there. He mm-hmm. doesn't, you know. So my thing at this point of whoever the candidate is, I hope that they're capable of surrounding themselves with good people mm-hmm. and taking the advice. Of I, the think, I think those are all excellent points. Now, I, I just Googled Marco Rubio's bio, he graduated with his law degree from the University of Miami in 1996. Two years later, he was on the Miami City Commission. Uh, he ran for the Florida House in 99. Uh, somehow became majority leader in 03. I don't know how that happens in, in four years. I must, he must really like people. And then speaker three years later. He is a lawyer. He graduated from the University of Miami Law School. Um, but where's his jobs? Where, where's the jobs? How does he know how to create jobs? I mean, I, I want somebody who understands the economy. How, how Not gov- a, he clearly understands government. How does a community organizer know? Well, exactly. Exactly. You know, if how, Romney how, had how just would, been a better candidate, he would have been a great guy for the economy. But he was a terrible candidate for president. How would Hillary know has she ever? I'm not campaigning for Hillary here, oh, okay. but I'm just telling you, David, that if Marco Rubio, Rubio is the candidate for president of GOP, Hillary is the next president of the United States. What about uh, Mr. Bush? You know, I'm a big Bush fan. I mean, I know the political dynasty and all that, but Jeb is not like the others. You know, if you put three of them in a row, he said, "Which one is not like the others?" Jeb is not like the others. First of all, he's Latino. <laughs> yeah, so he said. <laughs> At least when he votes. Yeah. Um, which is fine by me. You want to say you're Latino? Go ahead. I, I think that's a cultural affiliation, not necessarily the color of your skin. Um, but two, he is a much better traveled, much more real conservative, and a much more real world individual than any others. Now, yes, is he wealthy? Yes, he has made himself very wealthy since he left office. It seems to be the style of these guys, to go into office and then make money. Um, but at the same time, we, we have a guy who certainly understands how business works, because he had a business, both before and after office, and he understands how government works, and he understands how the, world, how the real world works. Um, I don't know. I, I, and, and you know what I really like about him? He's got a real family. 
that has real problems. Not, you know, Rubio's wife is like a former cheerleader and Miss Perfect. You know, Columba, his wife, is not a perfect woman. You know, they, she's had issues. Their kids have had issues. I want people to understand people on, 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 a, on a ground level basis that they haven't grown up in a bubble. And I, I really don't. I don't think Barbara and George raised their kids in a bubble. Uh, and I think Jeb is uh, probably, in my opinion, the best qualified person to be next president of the United States. And his military experience? He didn't have any. He wasn't drafted. Uh, you know, older brother George was drafted, and the draft was over by the time he came along. Um, he's faulting in military. But as far as I know, there's nobody being mentioned for the GOP. Other, no, none. Now, there is a Democrat with, with experience. Webb. Yeah. Uh, I like Jim Webb. I, I, I think he's a sharp guy, uh, conservative, Democrat, uh, understands the economy, understands business, understands... I mean, I, if, if anybody could beat Hillary, I would say it's him. I would say it's him. But you know what he doesn't have? He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any money. Not the kind of money you need to run for president, so you have to raise that. So those announcements came out. You got, now you got Cruz, you got Rubio. Uh, who's the other? No, the third Republican is announced already. You got Scott Walker. Scott Walker is going to run. Um, again, another guy with no real life experience uh, as far as developing jobs. Another career politician. Uh, you've got um, uh, um, Huckabee. Huckabee. Harry. Oh yeah. Well, you know, really, uh, no. I got no respect for Huckabee. Uh, you've got um, uh, Christie, who's not going to. I don't think Christie's going. He might announce, but. His reality is all his friends are going to get indicted in New Jersey. <laughs> I don't think it's – who was the last New Jersey president? Was it uh, New Jersey? Was it Warren G. Harding? Wasn't he from uh, Jersey or cool? One of the – from, from Jersey. I think days are long past. Right? You, you go through Jersey politics, you can't become president of the United States. But what I like about Rubio was his immigration stance. And what I dislike about Rubio is his new immigration stance. Here is a man who has truly fli- – I mean – he did a flip. He was a Romney flip flopper on steroids. Uh, he changed his position so fast on his own immigration bill, and I don't know. You know, other than deciding that it was bad for his career to be pro-immigration because the anti-immigration far right didn't like him, um, but he clearly did the right thing in seeking compromise. I had a really good friend uh, on on the internet who is. Uh, on Facebook, who's a very conservative guy, uh, and he always talks about, we just need to get the parties to work together. But David, we talk on this show, is that ever going to happen? It happened for this, and this is what I respected about Rubio. He was willing to take the next step. He was willing to cross over and say, let's look where we can agree on things. And then he backed away from it. Let me back up. I shook my head no, but I think behind the doors... I think the political organizations do work together. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for the benefit of you and me or anybody else, but for the benefit of themselves. And, you know, you made an interesting statement a second ago um, about Jeb Bush, that he got out of politics and made a boat full of money. Well, he made a boat full of money because he was in politics. That's true. And, and I, I think that there should be... Well, I think there should be a lot of laws that will never happen, but one should be that you can't get out of – after being a representative or senator or whatever, uh, there's a 10-year delay before you can be a lobbyist. Instead of a one-year delay. Yeah. 
Uh, There's one year to lay down. But. Which is not enough. You know, that gives them time to go. Take a vacation. Find out who's going to give them the most to, right. be their lob- to be their lobbyist. Uh, you know, I... Uh, and it's very unfortunate, but I, I think our political system has turned into a sham, and I don't know what's going to turn it around, as has our immigration uh, policies. And as you have pointed out many, many times, many of the answers are very simplistic, mm-hmm. but they just won't happen. Well, let's take our next final break here on America's Web Radio. We'll be right back. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del Grupo de Abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net With all the back and forth in today's politics, It seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, I want to read you a statement by Marco Rubio. Okay, this is uh, a statement where he said on Fox News, okay, undocumented immigrants living in the United States, this is in May of 2013, will apply for temporary legal status, begin working and paying taxes, and apply for per- lawful permanent resident status through the same merit-based system everyone else must use to earn a green card. And of all people currently waiting for family immigration cards have had their priority. Uh, when confronted by the mothers of juniors, says, I am with you guys. I am the author of this bill. I don't understand why you keep asking me to commit myself. What more can I commit? That's May 2013. Okay. Here we are in October 2013, um, where he says this. At this point, the most realistic way to make progress on immigration will be through a series of individual bills. Any effort to use a limited bill as a ruse to trigger a conference that would produce a more conference bill would be counterproductive. So he's arguing against his own bill. Then, in July 2014, he said this. Let's not throw $3.7 billion at this problem to take care of a one-time issue. Let's put in place permanent border security measures, more fencing, more agents, more technology, e-verify, entry, exit, track, different overstays. These are all part of the bill. Okay. And he said, a three-stage process of search board security, establishment of a merit-based legal immigration, and concludes with prolonged legal legalization for 11 million undocumented immigrants. That's in July of 2014. Then, August 2014, at the Faith and Freedom Barbecue event, where he's interrupted by immigration activists, he said this, they're harming their own cause because you don't have a right to illegally immigrate to the U.S., He waited to begin his speech again after the Dreamers were booted. The same month, he said that his executive action, the president's executive action, would close the door to real immigration reform and that he would only support a series of sequential pieces. Then, in 
February 2015 at, at CPAC, he says this. He conceded he shifted his view on immigration and now believes bills focused only on border security are the only ways forward. And then he elaborated on Fox News in March of this year. I think I'm realistic on immigration. We can't do it all at once, especially with the two executive orders, the latest one in particular. The American people will not support doing anything further on immigration until they first believe that illegal immigration in the future is under control. If that happens, other people are willing to be very reasonable about those that are here now, but they've been here for a long time and otherwise not violated our laws. I mean, this guy, he cannot keep his story straight. And you know what he does by doing this? He loses the Latino vote. A vote that would be naturally his if he had remained consistent on this issue. But he, unlike Bush, who is willing to lose the primary to win the general, meaning he's not going to go super crazy on the right-hand side, in order to win a primary, he might win. He might come in second and, a, and third in a whole bunch of primaries, but get enough votes to win the win the win the, win, win the nomination. Rubio is not willing to do that. He's willing to flip flop to whatever side he thinks will get him the most votes. Um, and, and this this what this says to me is he has no core. He has no core. And aren't you tired of presidents with no core? <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly tired. of I mean, Obama clearly has no core uh, whatsoever. So. Uh, especially on the immigration issue. Now, it's, uh, it's funny, David. Uh, the state of Nebraska, uh, a couple of years ago, passed a law in their state uh, that uh, made it uh, illegal uh, to rent houses to immigrants living in the country illegal, illegally. Now, I don't see how that's constitutional, uh, but because um, you're not supposed to be able to ask people what their immigration status is. Uh, the problem that they're having is they can't seem to enforce that law. Uh, they, th- here's what's happening. The federal government's refusing to provide information about individual immigration status because Fremont does not collect inf- enough information. So Fremont officials haven't revoked any rental permits in the city of 26,000 enforcing the ordinance last year. Um, so we're finding the letter of the law and doing what we do. The only thing is we have no verification. Um, the rules require Fremont residents to pay $5 to swear they have legal permission to live in the United States. And landlords prohibited from renting to anyone without a permit. But they have no way of verifying the information. They have no way of verifying the information. Uh, so uh, nobody's complaining. My job was to get the vote out, and I was done with that. So this is another thing. Why pass a law? Why do this if, in fact, you have no intention whatsoever of enforcing it? Why? You do that because you love hating on people. You get, you get, um, you get help. In, in getting elected by blaming other people, by blaming the other. I, I just find this, um, uh, let's call it hypocritical. If you're not willing to stand by uh, your position on these things, uh, then why are you passing such things? You know, don't be a chicken. Uh, don't be a chicken. Don't be the guy who's afraid to do this stuff. Now, David, the last thing I want to talk about is a new study, and I, can't, I use this word loosely because this is a joke study, from uh, our friends at the Center for Immigration Studies, <clears throat> we, we we are we, their logo is low immigration pro immigrant. Actually, that's not true. Their, their logo should be no immigrant, low immigration. That should be their logo. Uh, so there's a new study report out. It's a that the government is paying a bonus to employers who hire certain foreign workers instead of citizens. This is what they say in their press release. The optional practical training program allows foreign graduates of U.S. universities 
who are working in the U.S. to retain their status as students for tax purposes. What this means is we don't tax foreign students, David, for Medicare or Medicaid. FICA. We don't do FICA taxes for them. Why? Because they're never going to be in the system, right? The theory is they're not going to be in the system long term. And after you graduate, you are given this thing called OPT, or Optional Practical Training, to work for one year so you can get some experience in your field before you go back home. And that's been in the law for decades. The OPT program's been around for a very long time. It's proved very useful for people to get one year of experience. Now, 65 or 85,000 of those people use that OPT program to bridge them into the H-1B so they can get an H-1B. But it's still, every year, David, we have almost, I think now, almost 900,000 foreign students in the U.S. Let's say half of those graduate uh, overall, and let's say every year 150,000, 200,000 graduate. That means less than, you know, a third of them are actually going to get the H-1B visa, but they can work here for the United States. Well, the study was this, that under the OPT program, these foreign workers can extend their student status for 12 months. Okay, that's true. Uh, and if they studied in science, technology, engineering, and math, they can add an additional 17 months if their employer is, a, is an E-Verify employer. There's a trade-off for that. Okay, so the government did this to get more E-Verifies. So since these foreign workers are defined as students, neither the employer nor the alien has to pay payroll taxes. So thus, the United States effectively pays a bonus of as much as 11000 is their way of getting numbers, right? $11,600 to employers when they hire an alien graduate. Wait a second. Who pays $11,600 in, in payroll tax, in, in FICA taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security? How much do you have to, have to make to get that much money? What's the max Social Security? It's like 180000 right? So are these guys making 180000 No, they're students out of college. They're making $30,000, dollars $50,000 a year, so they're not making anywhere. But they've got to get their numbers, right? This, this is how they fake stuff. This is how they just literally make stuff up out of whole cloth at the Center for Immigration Studies. So they take their 11,600 number. Information discovered through a FOIA request shows that the OPT program is responsible for American workers. American workers being denied 433,000 jobs from 09 to 2013. Huh? How were U.S. workers denied jobs? Well, the implication is, David, these OPT guys took jobs that, Amer- that employers would have given to Americans because these OPT guys don't have to pay the FICA tax. I can list to you, David, the number of employers on one hand that actually understand this rule. <laughs> I frequently have to remind employers that they are not subject to this tax and they shouldn't take it out of their pay. It's not a bonus to employers because most employers don't even realize it. So here's what they get, David. Because there is 430,000 and you times 430,000 times what? $11,600. $4 billion has been removed from Social Security and Medicare. Boy, these talk about fuzzy math. And where does it go? Well, that's, I guess the employer's pocket. They don't have to pay that money. But what I'm saying, David, it's not $4 billion. That's literally a made-up number. Um, so their study is they want, to, they want to attack the OPT program. See, for these guys, this is legal immigration. Okay, this is legal. These guys aren't pro-immigrant. This is not, this is, they're attacking legal immigration. That Congress created these rules, immigration created these rules. So this is, this is where the anti-immigrant movement gets their, gets their shovels out and starts shoveling poo onto the pile here. Uh, because they're just making stuff up as it goes along. They call it an obscure immigration program. It's not an obscure immigration program. 
Every employer knows about it that, that hires foreign students. Uh, but they don't know, they don't understand that there's some sort of terrible thing with these kids not paying taxes on, on their money. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a... Uh, I'll see what happens from the pro-immigration side when they come out with a counter-study to say, hmm, you made that up too. Uh, I wonder I wonder what other stuff you're making up if you're making up. This is how you hurt yourself. When you're putting studies out and you're just literally making stuff up and just claiming numbers out of the out of the, the clear blue sky and tying them together and getting... That's, that's, not real. that's just how they say, oh, Texas is going to lose $25 billion on DAPA. They get the numbers from these clowns who just literally find some number, times it by some mystical number, and then get a, get a dollar sign in front of it. I mean, that's just not reality. Uh, they would be much better off dealing in the reality of numbers. Okay, I would believe that there's a billion dollars not going into Social Security, Medicare, Medicare through this program. I believe that. But what's the trade-off? Trade-off is having U.S. workers here that are getting jobs created because of these guys. They're not taking jobs. And it's a, these guys are true socialist economists. They think there's a pie that's that's this big. You know, it's this big and it never gets any bigger, and that's all the jobs that exist. They don't understand real economics that the jobs continue to grow. And when you add somebody to the pool, they don't take a job. They create a job from that. Um and so it's hard to take these studies seriously. I mean, the, the big problem, I keep saying I mean, I should stop saying that, David. Uh, these guys fool the mainstream media because they look at a study like this and go, oh, my gosh, $4 billion, we should report on this, without actually looking at the actual numbers and saying, this is just like making stuff up. David, it's been a good show this week. been good to talk about it. I'm looking forward to next week providing you my report on my visits to our dear members of Congress. And I'll make sure I bring your message for you. Till next week, this is the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.